I'm Rico Galliano. And I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. You know, there's been a lot of talk about the anonymous contributions fueling the ads around the midterm elections. Yep. And frankly, we're jealous. Indeed. We <laughs> want your anonymous contributions. That's right. Go ahead and give to the Republican Party or to the Democratic Party, but please make sure you give to the dinner party. Download. Text the word radio to 25383 and a $10 donation will appear on your mobile bill. Additional text charges and data rates may apply. Again, just text the word radio to 25383 and you'll have donated 10 bucks to making America sound better. This message paid for by, well, you hopefully. I'm Rico Galliano. And I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And, and we, we approve, approve this message. message. And here's your icebreaker. So this is a joke that I heard while I was in Chad in 2006. Uh, and in the joke, the president of Chad makes a phone call to President Mobutu of the Congo, and he's in a desperate, frantic state. And he says, oh, Mobutu, I've got so many problems. I've got these rebels. They're almost at the capital. I can hear the gunshots out my window. And Mobutu, on the other end of the phone, he shakes his head, and he says, ah, what did I tell you? You should have never built those roads. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and from American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that equips you to win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from Dino Mangestu, author of the new novel, How to Read the Air. And a tip about that, it's easier if the air is polluted. We can read here in L.A. Very well. Coming up, Judd Apatow, meat costumes, a beer tsunami, conflict cuisine, and secret knives. But first, time for small talk. So, Brendan, in the news this week, a federal appeals judge reinstated Don't Ask, Don't Tell, but not in time for some folks who told too much. Oh, can't wait to hear this. Here we go. Let's hear him. Sharon Angle, Senate candidate in Nevada, told a group of Hispanic students that they looked Asian to her. <laughs> True story. I love that. So I, so I guess they're free to enter nearby Arizona unharassed. <laughs> for now. Okay. Moving on, Juan Williams told Bill O'Reilly that seeing people dressed in, quote, Muslim garb on airplanes frightens him. And he got fired from NPR. Right. And the best part of that is that means someone at NPR is watching Fox, <laughs> which is kind of fair and balanced. Who is that guy? <laughs> He's gal. an odd one. <laughs> yes. And finally, rapper T-Pain tweeted to fans, quote, Nobody should eat 7-Eleven nachos at 3 a.m. and go right to sleep or you shall feel the wrath of the corner store gods and the morning. Unquote. We didn't ask T-Pain. You told us too much, T-Pain. You didn't, you didn't have to tell. <laughs> For things you can tell people about at your dinner party, which hopefully does not involve 7-Eleven nachos, hopefully. we turn to our colleagues at Marketplace. Ethan Lindsay, producer of the Marketplace Morning Report, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? A Guinness beer. A perfect story for the weekend. As always, although this time I'll be talking about Daphne Guinness. She's the heiress to the uh, Guinness Beer Fortune. She's one of these uh, starlets, like a, a Paris Hilton. Sure, she's a celebrity in pubs all over. All over. She's been sued by her neighbors. They want her to stop taking baths. Does she live in a commune? <laughs> she's reportedly overflowed her bathtub one too many times. You realize if the judge rules in the neighbor's favor, they're going to be 10-year-olds all over Manhattan filing for injunctions. <laughs> Delessi Michelis, web developer, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, a company called Sandvine just released a report that says 20% of all internet traffic in the evenings uh, is due to Netflix streaming videos over the internet. People watching movies on Netflix are 20% of internet bandwidth? Yeah, the company still uh, ships DVDs by mail, but they're, they're really going after the online business. Wow, so this means only 80% of the internet is now pornography. Pretty much, yeah. That is 
That's startling. Stacey Vanek-Smith, senior reporter for Marketplace. What story are you going to be talking about this weekend? All right. Jersey Shore, Lady Gaga's meat dress, the Mad Hatter, Playboy bunnies. Uh, the decline of Western civilization. <laughs> that is an excellent guess. But um, it's actually a list of Yahoo's most popular costume searches this Halloween. Really? Yeah, and there's one also included, Chilean miners. <laughs> is it, they're just going to put their kids in the basement for three months? <laughs> yeah, which nothing but candy. And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened this week in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history is a city at the confluence of three rivers, each filled with booze. <laughs> Sounds like someone went home to Pittsburgh. What was your first clue? Anyway, here's the history. This week, back in 1814, a London neighborhood endured one of the strangest floods ever. We doubt the folks at your dinner party will know what it was. Thanks to our friend Michelle Philippi, you're about to. The British love their beer, but in 1814, they realized love has its limits. Back then, one of the biggest brewers in town was a company called Mew. And their prize facility housed some of the biggest beer vats of the era. One of them stood 22 feet tall. That monster was filled with porter ale. After a while, the pressure on the barrel got to be too much. One of the iron hoops holding it together developed a crack. And on October 17th, it snapped. The barrel burst. The force of it busted open the surrounding vats, and soon a tidal wave of over 323,000 gallons of beer smashed through the brew house wall and into the poor slum outside. Some folks ran out with pots to scoop up free booze, but for others, it wasn't much of a party. The beer tsunami flattened two houses and killed at least eight people. Some of them drowned in beer-flooded basements. Even so, in court, Mew was held blameless. In fact, Parliament later reimbursed them for the tax they'd paid on all that lost beer. So that was the alcohol-centric history. Now for some alcohol to serve with it. On the line is Katie Rose. She's a bartender at Bryant's Cocktail Lounge in Milwaukee, America's beer capital. Katie, you heard the story, and what cocktail did it inspire you to make? Well, the drink is called The Last Call to Porter. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And so generally with any harrowing experience, I usually reach for a glass of bourbon. So this is a drink to calm the nerves if you are confronted with a tsunami of beer. Indeed. And then also, um, officially, this was considered an act of God. So the drink includes both green chartreuse and Benedictine. That's right. The courts decided that this was an act of God. So you use a, a liquor made by Benedictine monks. Correct. And chartreuse is also made by monks. And frankly, I find chartreuse particularly heavenly as well. <laughs> so, Is there beer in this thing? There is, actually. So you take those three ingredients, shake them up, strain into a coupe glass, and top it with a porter beer. So it has kind of a chocolatey finish, a bittersweet end. Nice. <laughs> and then to really go with the theme before you even get to take a sip, you should just smash the glass. Exactly. Provide yourself some sort of explosion. <laughs> Toss in a firecracker. Enjoy. <laughs> You know, Rico, there's a historical reenactment of the beer flood conducted every weekend. Really? At every college in America. (laughs) That's right. Complete with dorm rooms that look like slums. History repeats itself over and over and over. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we'd love a flood of email via our website, dinnerpartydownload.org. 
guest of honor this week is Judd Apatow. He created the TV show Freaks and Geeks, as well as a gazillion comic films, including The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Knocked Up. His latest project is a book. It's called I Found This Funny, and in it are selections of his favorite writing. And Judd, I have to say, you know, your films are known for incorporating a little bit of filth, yet there are no selections in this book from Anise Nin or Penthouse Forum. <laughs> what gives? That's a very good question. I was looking at back issues of the National Lampoon from the early 70s, and there was some really dirty stuff. Uh, but I didn't think of that as a focus, and now I'm regretting it. Now I feel like I made a terrible mistake, and there's probably something really dirty and funny I should have put in there. So maybe for the next edition. Well, filth is one of the things that critics popular culture point to uh, when they say that films are undermining our youth, yet you, who are a big part of that popular culture, wrote this book whose proceeds go directly to promoting literacy. I'm wondering, is this like big tobacco, uh, you know, paying for non-smoking commercials? In, in that scenario, uh, my comedies cause emphysema. No, I uh, have always uh, felt like I should have read more. So I'm constantly trying to catch up. I only went to college for a year and a half, and I, I liked my lit courses, but ran out of money and, and thought, well, now that I'm a writer and not a stand-up comic, I guess I should have read stuff. And I wish I wish I could write prose and short stories, but I only know about 68 words, and if I even could get it to 100, I would try. And you can re- rearrange those 68 words 68 different ways, at least. Well, the thing I've learned as a screenwriter is if the characters are potheads, uh, they only need 68 words. <laughs> So this book is a collaboration with McSweeney's, uh, the author Dave Eggers Press, um, and the proceeds go to charity. How did it happen? Uh, I met Dave Eggers through Catherine Keener a long time ago. I put together a benefit which raised money uh, for a tutoring center. And the benefit was a tribute to Seth Rogen for the charity work he has not chosen to do yet. (laughs) Kind of a parody of big Hollywood benefits. And then a year or two later, I said, oh, we should probably do something else. Maybe I could edit a book like David Sedaris did for you because he put out this great book of short stories that David Sedaris likes. And so I said I could maybe do that with humor. And next thing you know, I had to read 2,000 short stories. (laughs) Did that really eat into your script reading time? Uh, I don't really read scripts. I don't even read my own scripts. I'll, I'll start shooting a movie and realize I've never read my own script. So, th- so therefore, you need really good actors who can improv, I'm guessing. It's all about the improv. Then, then I don't have to ever polish anything. I'm the anti-David Mamet. I, I want no one to honor anything. This is what I learned. Uh, you know, I work in radio and I'm missing out. I heard it's all B-roll music is really the secret. Uh, you know, if you put the right Bright Eyes song behind anything, it can be emotional. <laughs> all right. Well, we have two standard questions at our show. First one is, what question are you tired of being asked in interviews? Do you guys do a lot of improv? You kind of just asked that question. Oh, man. <laughs> Busted. So uh, why do you hate hearing that question? You know, I'm very proud of the fact that we, you know, we allow for a lot of spontaneity on the set, but we also are very uh, specific about what we're trying to accomplish in every scene. So uh, sometimes you think, do people realize that we actually think this stuff through? Do they just think we show up and just go nuts all day long? Uh, but I'm also very proud of the fact that I allow the actors to discover the material, and every once in a while, you know, somebody like Seth Rogen or Leslie says something that I never could have thought of in a million years. Well, our second question is, tell us something we don't know, something about you that you've never talked about in interviews before. That's a very good question. I'm a, quite a good tennis player, but in a match, I will always choke, no matter how far ahead I am. I could be ahead 5-0, 40-love, 
you will defeat me. Why do you think that is? What's this? What's the psychological? I want to win so bad that I will always tighten up just a little bit, and I'll I'll just hit it out every every <laughs> single time. Maybe you just wanted to get to love and nothing else. I wish I did, but it isn't that. It's just panic, wide-eyed panic. Well, nice to know there's something he's not good at. <laughs> I know. It's very comforting. If he donated the proceeds of one of his hit films to literacy, right. there would be like second graders reading Proust right now. <laughs> <laughs> it would advance the cause of our nation. That's right. Instantly. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the more advanced among you might want to use a computer to find us on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash dinnerpartydownload. So we've met our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we talk about food. So, Brendan, it's the midterm elections, and politicians are talking, of course, about the economy. And mainly. insulting minorities. And, and insulting <laughs> minorities. But what they're not doing is talking much about Afghanistan. Do you remember the war we've been in for a million years or oh, so? Is that the one that costs lots of money and people die? That is one of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Well, one place they are talking about the war is called Conflict Kitchen. You may have heard of it. It's a takeout food window in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, that serves only cuisine from countries with which the United States is in conflict. Interesting. So the other day, I spoke to co-founders Don Waleski and John Rubin. They started off selling Iranian food at this Mm. place. Indeed. And this month, they will switch to selling a specialty from Afghanistan called... Balani. And Balani is sort of a savory Afghan turnover. The Balani that we're serving you today has four different fillings. One is spinach and fava beans with a nice vinegar demi-glaze, actually. I didn't know that that would grow. I think of Afghanistan as a, you know, sort of a desert region. This isn't true. Um, Afghan is very geographically diverse and plenty of growing season as well. Um, Pumpkin balani uh, with a little bit of butternut squash. Also um, red lentil. Why this? Why sell balani? Um, When we were trying to decide what sort of food to serve, we wanted it to be a street food that you would find sort of on a street in Kabul. And every answer we got back from an Afghan or from the research that we did was balani, something that I'm even told a woman could make in her house. And then she gives her son a plate of balani to run out to the street. He would sell it? Right. And he sells it. So it's everyone's business to be selling balani. All right. I'm going to try Which one do you recommend first? Try the lentil. Okay, here we go. It's kind of flat. It reminds me in a way of a panini, kind of a cross between a panini and a pita pocket. Mm. Don't judge me. This is kind of a test for you. You're not actually serving these yet, correct? That's correct. You're our um, test case. I'm happy to be your guinea pig. It's really tasty. It's kind of my immediate association is to Indian food. There's a curry kind of flavor to it. Does that make sense? It does. There's uh, some ginger, turmeric, cumin. And that's something that's interesting about Afghan cuisine. There's some Central Asian influence, Chinese, Indian, as well as Persian and Middle Eastern. It's really tasty. What is this dipping sauce on the side here? That's yogurt. Yogurt? Exotic. Now, here's the thing that's interesting to me is honestly, this is the most tangible experience I've had with Afghanistan. I've never really had any experience with Afghan culture outside of what I see on the news or on TV. Is that kind of the point here? Yeah. Another one is just speaking with you know the people who are selling the food. All of our staff engage in conversation with people no matter where it goes. So when we get busy, which is nice, you got to wait about five minutes for your sandwich. People often start talking politics. Not always. But, you know, that's very important to us. Now, what happens, though, if you've got a long line of people waiting for their food 
and you got somebody up front who's really in an intense conversation and people are like, hey, but where's my Balani, damn it? Well, the people with the window are also trained to facilitate conversation between customers, right? So let me go check on your sandwich and why don't you tell this guy next to you what you know about Iran? Or tell him what I just told you. It's a public forum that is at a takeout window. So Rico, that's such a cool idea. It is. And I hope it fails. What? Because <laughs> if they're successful, they're going to have to start wars to expand their menu. That's you know, if people want crepes, attack France. That's true. God forbid they go for Korean tacos. <laughs> Two countries just devastated. And that's the Dinner Party download for this week. Special thanks to Jackson Musker, Eve Tro, Charlton Thorpe, and Ravi Carmen. And we leave you, as always, with One for the Road, a tune to play on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner party. The band is called Secret Knives, and the song is called Northwest States, though since they're from New Zealand, that could be just about anywhere. Bon appétit. I thought I'd escape to the Northwest States And you escaped my way and we were free It wasn't that easy The rush or the sudden release I've been expecting wrestling With the impulse to patch it back up Galliano. And I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. This political season, we encourage you to join the party that rises above empty campaign rhetoric, the dinner party. Download. Yes, in lieu of a $10,000 a plate dinner, true patriots text radio to 25383 and a $10 donation appears on their mobile bill. Additional text charges and data rates may apply. And remember, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask how you can maintain a social edge amongst your peers.
God, God bless, bless America. America.